Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm so excited to welcome two incredible guests to the show, Devin and Jordan Brown. So excited to have you guys on. Can you just really quick, we'll start with Jordan. Can you just introduce yourselves and uh, just give a quick like two second teaser of who you are to my audience? Yeah, my name is Jordan Brown. Glad to be here. I am the director of an organization called the Urban Renewal Center based in Norfolk, Virginia. We are faith-based, but we strive for equity and equality. And also, we run a podcast, pretty cool podcast called Eye to Eye, short for Inspired to Inspire. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, in just a second. And I am Devin Chandler. I am Jordan's co-host. He is uh, pretty much the person that forces me to do all the things that internally I know I want to do, but I don't have the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the stick to to see it through. So he's a, a, a spiritual and m- motivating mentor for me. We've gotten, I don't know, 57, 58 episodes in. And yeah, I don't have as cool a job as Jordan. I work in uh, financial planning, but I, I still try to bring some unique perspectives to things. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. No, I actually actually met Jordan through um, this podcast mastermind that we're both in. And when I heard about the podcast and checked, it was honestly, I checked out the cover art and I was like, this looks super cool. So I clicked it, I was listening to it and just, it, it feels super adjacent to what I do with this show. And I, I really wanted to really wanted to just have a conversation. And I think I hit up Jordan while I was listening to it and said, this is really good. By the way, if you guys want to get a taste of the eye to eye podcast, like just listen to episode 56 six, just the opening three minutes, like the response to the Capitol riots was incredible. And I really appreciated it. Before we get into kind of some of these questions, I am curious because it's, this show is not primarily a a theology show or a, I'm not trying to just evangelize people through the show, but I am curious because we're going to be talking a little bit about how the church 
plays a role in, in different social issues, things like that. I'm curious what your religious backgrounds are. So Devin, if you want to kick us off, what's your introduction to the evangelical world, like denomination? Were you raised in it? Are you first generation? What was kind of your introduction there? Yeah, sure. So I come from a family where both grandparents were Christians for most of their lives, both sets of grandparents. Both of my parents grew up and raised in a non-denominational church, as well as I think a little bit with a village church out in Southern California. So from there, I grew up in the Foursquare Church primarily. Foursquare, for those that don't know, because it's not as Big a footprint nationwide. It's more of a California kind of Western states type reach. Uh, I would say that it's somewhat Pentecostal, not quite juggling snakes, but definitely have speaking in tongues from the pulpit, things like that. Believe in the spiritual gifts. And then went on to a quote unquote Baptist church that was still somewhat spirit filled. So it wasn't like really uptight Baptist for a little while. And then when my wife and I moved to Virginia, that's where we went to uh, Wave Church here in Virginia, which is non-denominational. I would say its strongest influence would be Hillsong. Um, that's where the senior pastors grew up, went and, and learned the ministry from there and then came out here. And that's where I met Jordan years later. Cool. Jordan, what about you? Were you juggling snakes in your early church years? What was your, your kind of background? Yeah. Yeah, actually, my background is really diverse. I am actually the byproduct of a father who's a United Methodist pastor, and I have a great uncle who was a minister way, way back in the day. So I guess this is in my blood, but I came up under just a, an array of different denominational backgrounds. My father is actually half Puerto Rican from New York. If you're New York Rican, that automatically makes you Catholic. My mom came up, and I think the National Baptist Convention. And then, of course, my father becomes a United Methodist minister. And in search of trying to find a place where I could really dig my heels in, I ended up in, in the non-denominational world. I had a place called New Life Church here in Virginia Beach. They had a great young adult ministry that kind of succumbed to an issue back in the day, that, which made me leave. It did not deter me from the faith. but And then, of course, ultimately, I ended up at WAVE. But I really had a desire to just experience all the different denominations, just understand their culture, why they do what they do, their doctrine. So I'm actually currently working on Sundays, air quotes for people who don't see it, at a Presbyterian church that's connected to the nonprofit that I work for. It's been really cool. It's uh, just a learning experience, and I'm glad to be there and be a part of it. Gotcha, gotcha. Can you give just a quick breakdown? Because your nonprofit's actually really cool. Can you give just a little bit more context about what it is you do with the nonprofit? And then we can dive into our main questions here. Sure, not a problem. Yeah, the Urban Renewal Center, it, it seeks to awaken society to its promise holders. That's the what our mission and vision run under. And we are huge on building um, bridges to the community, really getting involved in the community, educating them on the history of the city of Norfolk, Virginia. Most folks don't know. But for example, we were pretty sure that slavery was born here. And, and the hope is that slavery will die here in its many different forms now, whether that be mass incarceration and the like. But we are really just seek to educate everyone and inform them, put it under three different tenses. One is sharing the wealth. And that's not just people being able to give and donate. That's actually the ability to learn and to be educated. You don't have an understanding of going hard after the what if you don't know the why behind it. So that's a big piece. And then, of course, doing your part. What can you do here in the community? And right now, one of the biggest examples for us is running a homeless shelter in partnership with, with the city. And that's been really huge and it's amazing and it's awesome. It doesn't have direct ties to the understanding of race, but I'm gonna tell you what, 
there are a lot more people that look like me than look like you in there. And there's a reason behind that. And so that's one of the things we look to expose. And then also, of course, stopping the cycle. That's our bottom line. There's been some big business dealings that have happened since the late nineties that have made Norfolk look really pretty, but under the surface there's some stuff that's probably not as sexy and it's not trying to throw anybody under the bus or anything. Uh, but the bottom line is we're trying to ensure that doesn't happen again and that history doesn't repeat itself. Like I said before, and there are situations that are there right now that can make it seem like that stuff is on the horizon again. So we're just trying to do our best to make sure that we can restore society, like I said before, and also honestly just eradicate the disposition that produces homelessness, which is racism and produces inequality and the wealth disparity. I could go on and on. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and just real quick too, Norfolk is an excellent example for being able to do things like this because it literally is just about 50-50 when it comes to the demography, like black and white, with a couple of other folks spiced in between. We're actually even considering doing a project right now where we are taking a look at segregation and its impact on the public school system. Because even though we have that 50-50, if you look at our public school system, it is almost, I'm pretty sure, about 80% African-American. Hmm. So we're missing some people and doing some digging and research to try and find out why. So yeah, I mean, that, that's some of the stuff that has a heart right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I know on one of your episodes, you mentioned that social justice isn't the only issue, but it is a it has become a primary issue because of these current times. I don't even need to give the reason why it's become such a big issue. It's so apparent. And whether you're on the side of seeing it as an issue or not seeing it as an issue, it's clear that it is something that's happening right now. Like this conversation is happening. And why is social justice so important to talk about right now. And there's a lot of Christians who tend to think it's a distraction. They're writing blog posts saying, don't get distracted from why we're here. What's our main mission? Stay on focus, like all those kind of things. And I definitely have my opinions about why that's the case, but I'm, I'm curious to hear from the two of you. You're spending a lot of time on the issues of social justice. What's the reason? Why has this become so important in recent time? Yeah. Uh, and so, kind of jump in. You want me to jump, jump in? I'll jump. Yeah, in. you yeah. jump. Yeah, jump headlong. There you go. <laughs> uh, to me, I think it has to do with social justice has always been something that's urgent, but it's not necessarily something that people have been awakened to. And I do think that with technology, the way that it's moving and the way information moves and the way you know, people are able to communicate, whether it's social media or just media outlets or just the internet in general, I think people can become more attuned to some of the things that are going on in their world because... Social justice is also in the eye of the beholder, right? So there's a ton of Christians that love to call people who are on the bandwagon of maybe Black Lives Matter or even gay, lesbian, alternative lifestyle rights, things like that. Those are social justice warriors and get them out of here. But at the same time, they are freaking out about human trafficking, <laughs> which is that's also, by the way, social justice. So they're picking and choosing the different things that, that they want to identify as social justice and forget abortion me, now don't do that don't forget abortion <laughs> and to me i think the the church is very guilty of this in some ways because the church is leading the narrative for the attenders as to what is the social justice causes that should be focused on abortion should be focused on but racism should not different things like that and i think it's something that should that's always existed but i think people are just becoming more awakened to the broader range of things and the narratives are starting to shift as people become more and more either accustomed to or opened up to these different things going on. 
Yeah, I think yeah. it was I think it was Amber Ivy on and again episode 56 the first one I listened to and it just I think sums up so much of what you talk about and she said something that kind of blew me away and it was the notion that the two topics that drive evangelicals to the polls are the two things that are settled law <laughs> like it's abortion and gay marriage and when she said that after I picked my job off the floor I was like man that is a crazy statement it's very true it's two issues now Again, can there be changes? People that push for reform on certain issues, sure. But also, who's in presidential office probably isn't going to affect either of those things anytime soon. Like it's just not a correlation there. But yeah, it is. It's been interesting for me watching over the last couple of years. And I'm, I think, like pretty much anyone rational, I would say I'm not extreme left or extreme right on these topics. But I definitely, I. I don't know. I just see these big discrepancies when it comes to how Christians talk about social justice issues. Like they will stand outside of Planned Parenthood every day with a sign for abortion, but they'll get very upset about someone holding up a sign about racial inequality or about police abusing their power or whatever that topic is. And it is, it's just a, it's an interesting kind of I, I think one of the one of the signs of white privilege is the idea that you can pick and choose what you want to feel persecuted about. There, there was a statement I heard from someone I thought was hilarious. It was from an atheist reviewer, and he was talking about God's Not Dead too. And he said, only in America do Christians go to an air-conditioned movie theater with a 64-ounce soda and sit in total public awareness that they're going to see a movie about Christians being persecuted in America. And it's just a very ironic thing, but it's true. It's a very valid point. And, and I guess ultimately, it's easy to ignore most issues that don't affect us. Like it's easy for white evangelicalism to ignore what's happening with African-American community within churches. It's easy for us to ignore the plight of people who are you know, women. It's easy for a white male pastor not to be concerned about sexual assault within their churches because it doesn't ultimately affect them. Yeah. And I think it actually goes a step beyond that a little bit when we're talking with churches, because I think it's very easy to regulate sins that you yourself are not tempted mm. to commit. So if I'm a straight married man who's 50, I'm not 50, I'm just saying. If I am, the likelihood of me ever needing an abortion, that's zero. And the likelihood of me ever needing to marry somebody who's the same sex as me is also zero. So it's very easy to just remove those options and call myself moral. Whereas these other issues, especially the ones of race, those are a lot more nuanced because if I admit there's a problem, I have to also look inward and take some responsibility because I've probably been culpable somewhere along the lines. And so I think that's really where the struggle is. It's easy to just try to eliminate or attack these things that I will never myself have a problem dealing with. <laughs> but the things that, wow, I, I need to shine a light on some of the dark areas of my own life or my own belief. Woo, I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> I, yeah. Go ahead. Um, let me interrupt. Uh, I, I really think what it comes down to is understanding that we really treat common those things which should be sacred when it comes to stuff like this. And specifically what it is for me is I think that people just don't read their Bibles enough to recognize exactly what is what and how we should be approaching certain things. We had one episode, I can't remember which one it was, but I went in on the understanding of uh, what it talks about in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse uh, three, where it says, remember those in prison, fast forward for a second. Also remember those who are being mistreated as if you felt their pain 
in your own bodies. And there's just a lack of, of holy empathy, if you want to call it that. I don't know. And I know some of your people may not really catch that, but they do catch the understanding of what it is to do unto others as you have them do unto you. We got to take that a step further. Also, if something's being done to somebody, would you want that being done to you? How do you respond to that? What do you do with that? And there's a lot of, of I'm going to say at best miseducation, but I believe it's flat out malpractice uh, that's coming from uh, places like leadership in certain churches where they'll put people in a position to think that, hey, this is the only thing that really matters. This is what, quote unquote, has God's heart. So you have to focus in on this. And that's simply not the case. And what it's done is it's drawn out these other pieces that we're going to speak to in a minute, I'm sure. But that's where the division comes from, because you recognize very quickly that certain pulpits are not talking about the same thing that others are. And it's not to say that somebody's right as opposed to somebody else not being right. But at the same time, somebody there's two different truths being told. And that's become a bit of an issue that has caused the divide along with the political polarizations and what is it, package deal, ethics, zero-sum politics, all these things, they've contributed to the current state of our nation, which is, is really sad. No. Yeah, you hit on something really important when you talked about the idea of empathy. And Devin alluded to the fact earlier, like there's people who literally sit there and think, I don't want to admit that I may be in some way culpable for what's happening. And the reality is like in a in a practical, functional way, there are, there's many, because I see this rebuttal all the time. I, I didn't own slaves. I wasn't part of passing this legislation. I wasn't like, that's the number one rebuttal to anything is this was a long time ago. I had nothing to do with it. But I think it goes beyond that. Like there is that level of empathy. So there is that situation of saying, there's no doubt that if you're a white person in America, you benefit from some kind of privilege. Like that, that's not a, that's, and, and we just live in a time and a, in a culture where I'll probably get a one-star review for that statement right there. Nah. But it's true. There's no debating that. That is a true, that's a true thing. And when you say, when you talk about empathy, I think that's so important because you have to look at it and say, okay, there are things that I do not understand because I'm not coming at it from this person's perspective. Like I do not understand this situation whatsoever. And even though I may not be directly responsible, and that's not what anyone's saying, they're not saying that Eric in Henderson, Nevada is directly responsible for all of the the issues in America, but I do have a responsibility to use whatever privilege I have been given or whatever platform I have been given to speak to these issues and to try to understand what's happening and try to right those wrongs. The reality is I, I talk to my wife about this all the time. There's, we always go to slavery, but I'm like, I'm blown away by the fact that there are people whose father remembers not being able to use the same bathroom as why this is not a several hundred years ago issue. This is a few decades ago issue. <laughs> this is a current issue. And so I think it's really important yeah, to keep that in mind, keep that empathy in mind, because I don't know what it's like to have my grandfather tell me, oh yeah, I remember when I couldn't do this. Like I don't come from that background whatsoever. And so I, yeah, I think that empathy is important to hit on, but uh, I, I am curious, obviously it's Black History Month. And one thing I love about your show is that it covers a lot of these topics and these issues. And I always joke with people, I feel like a man without a country when it comes to political views, when it comes to even faith views, practical nature of the church, things like that. Again, I can't imagine how much more so it feels being a person of color, being a woman, being being any minority group within the church, you know, how that feeling of isolation must be like tenfold. Why do you think in 2020, with how much culture is supposedly advanced, the church seems decades behind when it comes to topics of race, when it comes to dealing with some of these issues? I would say, who? 
I love yeah, how you raised we'll your hand. I wasn't asking Devin that question. No, just, <laughs> You're just like, I got this. You know, I'll talk yeah. about this question. Yeah, I already know. It's all good. <laughs> Let me. Yeah, but Devin, you, you got to pass, brother. You're invited to the cookout. So the, the, there's that. But no, this is what I will say on a macro level. The understanding of a lot of churches, there are certain traditions that need to be either in check or just flat out broken by truth. This is a tale as old as time. You can go back to the understanding of why Martin Luther put up the 95 theses of the Roman Catholic Church. This is nothing new. However, it always takes a, a different spin and it puts on these different masks in these different seasons. And we just have to be able to pinpoint them and pull them out and, and call them out for what they are. Without a doubt, one of the biggest pieces that we got to see in 2020 was the fact that there were two groups of people who worship the same God who no doubt gather, well, actually black folk really ain't gathering because of COVID. Let's not put that in, into the mix as well, but they, they gather how they can digitally or in person. They worship the same God. They believe in, in the same thing in the Bible, yet somehow, for example, on November the 3rd, one group voted in one direction and one group voted in an entirely different direction, but they both still believe in the same God and the words that he speaks. So something is amiss there. And I think to your question, one of the biggest pieces, and, and no doubt you've actually talked about this a bit as well. One of the biggest pieces that's involved there is it goes back to that, that miseducation piece. I'm glad to be a broken record on that right now. Uh, you did an episode yourself where you started talking about Abeka and uh, all of these other different curriculums that would paint certain things that Christianity would see as inspiration in a completely different marred light. What was it? You talked about how Nelson Mandela is seen as a Marxist. What? You know, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. And this is their come up. And it, of course, it would only be one or two steps for them to say, oh, this Q guy, he, he's got something here. But again, they still love and they still worship the same God that we worship. And again, also, this is just a tale that's as old as time, even in the Bible. We have to remember that two decades after Jesus went on to, to, to be Lord and sit on the throne, we got an issue in the church of Corinth where people are saying, I follow Jesus. And then some saying, I follow Paul. And then some saying, I follow Cephas. And then some saying, I follow Apollos. What the hell happened there? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and so that's how I think of it as I approach this. And not to say that the black church has it all together by any means, but one of the things that they don't have is conspiracy theories and not every white church has those. But again, something is amiss. And I think that we need to start cracking that surface, uh, which is the most uncomfortable conversation, because remember, this falls on the guidelines of what they consider to be absolute truth. And the minute you break that for somebody, mm. there's an identity crisis waiting to happen. And so they're afraid to do that, which is why they have now hunkered down on this understanding of what they've been taught and they don't want to let it go. They don't want to relinquish it when actually our Bible teaches us that interpretation is interpretation and you might have something spot on. And then five years later, realize that God is telling you something completely different mm -hmm. and you just have to go with that. Sometimes it's the ebbs and the flows of life and, and not being perfect and not being omnipotent and not being omniscient and saying, yo, I need your help every single day. I, I want to put a pin in conspiracy theories because that's where I'm curious to talk about that a little bit. Because why not? If we're going to get in trouble, let's get in trouble. And uh, But before that, though, I, I think you hit on something interesting too. Is And I was actually thinking about this the other day is you mentioned serving the same God, reading the same Bible, things like that. And, and somebody, somebody in my Facebook group, I was actually telling you before uh, we started the show is someone had posted this you know, video in my group. And I, I disagreed with the premise of it because it was teaching the, the video was saying the issue with Christianity and the recent abuse happens is that 
morality with the morality in the Bible teaches vertical morality. It's what is going to please God. That's our, that's what it focuses on. It doesn't focus on horizontal morality. And I was like, the Bible talks a lot about how we treat other people. And so I disagreed with it. Again, I appreciate that they shared it. I understood what they were looking at. And when I was watching, I was thinking like, this is practically what the church at large kind of teaches. There's a lot of the modern church has shared this message. And it got me thinking in the comments, because someone someone came at it a little bit and said, Christians want to argue this all the time, but this is what's being taught. And shouldn't, if fundamentalists are doing this and fundamentalists being the people who are always studying their Bible, isn't this a biblical thing that they're teaching? And I just, I sat with it for a second. I was like, I don't think most fundamentalists do really read their Bible. Most fundamentalists are following someone's interpretation of the Bible. They're reading someone's commentaries. Look at the issue of complementarianism. You've got people reading John MacArthur's commentary that teaches it through that lens. And (laughs) again, there's a lot about John MacArthur I do appreciate, but there's a lot that is John MacArthur's opinion that gets mixed in with his theology. And so there's a lot of layers to that. And I think that's the core issue, right? Is we are following the same God, but the people who are teaching us how to follow that God and the people who are teaching us how to read that God's word are all putting in their own political bias. And historically over the last 100, 400, 500 years, it's been one singular perspective, which is a white male voice speak into it. How much has Puritan theology influenced our current discourse? A lot. It's it's immeasurable how much it has. That's funny because I was going to touch on that because your question was, why is the church appear to be years or decades or centuries behind? Was there a question somewhere in there? There was. (laughs) There was. You said that uh, to jump in. uh, (laughs) So it got me thinking. And over the course of history, we can see these different points, whether it's Luther and the Reformation or the Puritan movement separating from the Church of England. Like there were these kind of revelations that that happened along the way where people were being oppressed and then they fled. And then whether they either get snuffed out or they end up finding power in that. So America was obviously founded on that move of the, the Puritan movement. Let's get out of England. Let's get out of this issue. We need some sort of religious freedom. That's, of course, the first mention in our own constitution is (laughs) religious freedom, which I always laugh at because yet we still hate Islam, but that's right there (laughs) at the front of the constitution. But to me, it's I don't think America's had a, a fresh revelation in 400 years because the same people have been in power for 400 years. So why the heck would the church try to be progressive or change things up? They're still the people who were in power now as they were 400 years ago. But what we are seeing is that as they are slowly losing control or maybe quickly losing control because of the changing demographic, because of this kind of awakening that's going on with different things and some of the roots that are being dealt with here in our country, I think that's what then leads to the fear, the conspiracy theory (laughs) stuff that is seeking to grapple and hold on to that control. But uh, there's no reason to move If you're in power and you're comfortable, why would you progress? Why would you try to change things? There's no point. So is it ignorance on the majority of people or is it avoidance for most people? What, yes. what do you think the biggest? Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Next guess. question. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much. Yes. I think avoidance is because it that's work. If, if you're avoiding something versus confronting something, confrontation is scary because now you have to fight. It's much easier to avoid something, right? To just, why do we see relationships 
dissipate over time if, if you're married or something. It's because typically you're avoiding these major issues that you should be discussing before you know it. Okay, now we're just getting divorced because we never actually did anything. That's why you see a lot of these churches splitting and different things going because no one's actually dealing with the root problems. And then the ignorance side of it is simply discipleship and discernment. Like the church is not discipling people to have discernment over what the word says. Therefore, they're not learning how to discern what truth uh, from fiction is just in our general lives and general media. We're not taught that. We're not discipled through that stuff unless you seek it out or you find someone who's willing to take you under their wing and teach you that. The thing you see all the time is I'd hate to be a liberal because they got more education and, and so they think they know everything. It's buried in that sentence you just said is they have more education. Like, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, the biggest piece in that is there is an understandably primitive nature for them. What Devin's really leaning into there, but I'm just going to go ahead and put it all out there. And the bottom line in that is there's a fear that's attached to it. There's a fear that's attached to all this. We wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for fear. But if I'm going to be specific here, what we've realized in having so many different conversations, and you yourself have had the honor of having uh, Kristen Kobes Dume on your show, and you know <laughs> that there is such a an and, and underlay here, there's such a, a blueprint that is out there that's still there. And so many people think that it came with Trump and that it might leave with Trump. No, it was here long before him and it'll be here long after him. It's just, it's the bottom line that they have an education that has been rinsed, that has been whitewashed, that leaves them in a position of power telling single story narratives about everybody else uh, and how they're all evil and how they're all mis or at best misguided. That That's the thing about that division piece that I was talking about earlier. They think black folks are misguided because of their experience. Of course, it would make sense that we would, quote unquote, all together vote for Biden. No, it doesn't. I wouldn't want to vote for either of them, really, when it comes down to it. Give me somebody who really wants to do something and not just because it's a people pleasing uh, popularity contest. Yeah. Love him. I pray for him. I pray for Trump. That's not lost on me, the fact that we need to continue to support leadership, even if they don't make the best decisions and be vocal about that as well. It's the understanding that ultimately anyone in, in, in a position or that has a mindset, they can be challenged on that. But our culture has taught us that's not how this works anymore. Although <laughs> they're saying that just because they know the minute that they can be challenged, it can potentially be disproved. And then what we ultimately have on a much larger scale with the United States of America is the understanding of empiricism, empires. What is, what is the one thing that we all know about empires? What goes up must come down. Greece, Rome, England, Great Britain for crying out loud. All of these mega industrial entity countries from way back in the day, they're now just settled off to the side. And the United States is the current power that is in queue. And for what it's worth, we, we had our time where it went up and now we have our time where it's coming down and they don't like that. And for what it's worth for me, I just, I see this as one of those times where this is where I get to fasten myself to my faith because I know that they're not going to try and go down without a fight. They're going to go down swinging and I'm going to continue to love them in the process, but just let it be known that whatever they're doing, it's not going to be worth anything in the end. And I just think that's the one piece that we all need to corporately hold on to. It's just, it's the power struggle. And you know that for sure, Eric, because that's the reason why you started this show. It was a power right. struggle that produces abuse right. and a power struggle that produces all these other pieces and they sweep it under the rug. Yeah. 
And that sweeping under the rug and that ignorance to it is what leads to the abuse. When you have a when you have a power system that's not called out, when people don't recognize those systems, and it is, it's hard to look at it when you're taught through curriculum, whether public school or private school, when you're taught through curriculum that that is very limited in what perspectives it's offering, it does sound crazy when you see someone who looks different than you, was raised different than you, grew up different than you, comes out and says, hey, police are killing us. Like when you hear that statement, you're like, come on. No, they're not. That's who we're supposed to go to. We're taught from kindergarten. That's who we go to if we have an issue. Or if someone comes up and says, hey, this politician doesn't have our best interests in mind. What do you mean? Or we say, yeah, of course not. He's a politician. He doesn't have anybody's best interest in mind, but we miss the bigger point. And again, yeah, is there other conversations to be had? Like you said, not one side has it all together. Not one side has all the answers to it. But we have to, we're not going to get anywhere. It's like having a puzzle we're trying to put together and we have our pieces over here and the other side has their pieces over here and we're trying to figure out the system. But the reality is, unless we're hearing the perspective on the other side, there's no chance of ever getting anything coherent out of it. And I am curious, I want to rewind just a second because you. I know if I don't touch on this, I'm going to be upset. So I, you mentioned conspiracy theories and, and I think obviously racism itself has led to many conspiracy theories. Look at all that stuff happening right now with Marjorie Taylor Greene. A lot of racist conspiracy theories popping up here. Why do you think that white evangelicals specifically look at the QAnon stuff? Why do you think there's been such a draw to conspiracy theory? And you made the statement, which I have never really heard, which is the black church doesn't have conspiracy theories. Like the black community doesn't get involved in this, which I've never thought of, but it's true. I haven't seen a lot of this happening. So can you just expound on that statement a little bit? Because I thought it was really interesting you said that. Ah, okay. I'll try and be as brief as possible on this one. But if I can be honest with you, it's, they have their own completely different set of issues. The black church is really more, its processes are low down and dirty when it comes to money, when it comes to sex. It, they're a lot more, God, yeah, I can get in all the trouble in the world with this one, homo, homosexuality issues. In, in the black church. Some people joke around about it, but it's real. And what it comes down to is they've got too much of a, I'm going to say this, they have too much of a, of a gaslighting issue in some instances. They don't want to put themselves out, out there into these other issues. It's one of those things where we are all aware of what certain white folks in white churches uh, think about black people in general, um, especially in the Bible Belt. And it's funny because, again, that's why I asked, do you read your Bible? <laughs> because if you do, then you recognize that all of us are, are going to be in the same position in eternity. Revelations makes it very clear. We all will be before the throne and we'll be we're shouting holy. There is, I don't know, I think all of this, again, just comes down to these, these single story narratives and these uh, assumptions that, that we have of each other. But specifically to, to the piece concerning conspiracy theories, no, we don't have that. We might have occultic activity. We, have, we might have a lot more legalism in certain instances, although independent fundamental Baptists meet us neck and neck with stuff like that. <laughs> but we, we've had different spinoffs. The biggest one that is actually gaining a lot of ground right now is the Hebrew Israelites who really think 
you know, that they are the original. And for what it's worth, part of their argument might actually be sound, but a lot of it is completely amiss, especially the fact that folk like you and Devin are going to be our slaves one day. Like, that's just laughable. Show me that in the Bible. It ain't there. I was Um, reading on Reddit. That's the plan. So Q told us that's what's going to happen in the next couple of years. So I mean, you wanted it. We're watching you. There's there's (laughs) no better way for the white man to be empathetic towards slavery than to become a slave himself. So maybe that'll work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just, bro, for what it's worth, everybody has their own problems. I think that's all I'm really trying to lay out there. But yeah, we, one of the, we got 99 problems, but a conspiracy ain't one. <laughs> well, it, the conspiracy theories are by nature. When we came back from, from India after a few months, like me and my wife were laughing at some of the issues, quote unquote issues within the church here. And just from levels of the discussions about persecution and things like that. And I just, I was, I forget how I said it, but I just told her, I said like conspiracy theories and the idea of coming up with ways that you're being persecuted is a privilege of not being persecuted. Like it's easy. If you can sit around and choose what you want to feel upset about, like you're in a pretty comfortable position because when you look at a church in India where their church got torn down brick by brick one Sunday by, you know, a mob, that's persecution. Like they don't have time to think about, oh, hey, they're not gonna, they're not gonna let me take my Bible to school. That's not their, that's not their initial issue. You're in survival mode. And I think a lot of what you're hitting at seems to speak to that is like you have a church population that's been largely in survival mode. Like it's been, hey, we got people like really upset about us existing, just baseline us existing. So you don't have time to think about all the topics that are covered in like a a God's not dead series of, Hey, this professor won't let me say this in my essay. It's again, are all those things issues? Yes. But it's again, you're picking and choosing what's persecution. And, and if you're, if your definition of persecution is, Hey, this is happening to me, it's not broad enough. There's a lot of people who are experiencing things that you don't understand. And I think that's the importance of, of these conversations. I, I want to close on this, and I know this might take a little bit of time. So I'm, I'm just going to ask this. You mentioned the people who have bandwagoned into the Black Lives Matter movement. And we've seen plenty of teenage white kids that like to just tear stuff up. And they like to go out and say that they're protesting. And they, they like to say that they're doing something. You see a lot of pastors that get up and pay lip service to these issues. There's a lot of people who are... I think missing what advocacy really is. They're doing a lot of lip service. They're doing a lot of gesturing and a lot of platforms on the alternative side of this point that out. There's a lot of people that just think they're activists and they're sitting there and wearing the Black Lives Matter shirt. They're doing that kind of stuff. I guess if you could see some actual feet to pavement, let's do something. What would you like to see happen within the church? And what could people do to actually affect real change in the, in this issue. So I think it boils right back down to what I mentioned earlier in discipleship. Some of the notes that I wrote down and some of the questions that you were going to ask us, one of the things that came to mind is why does the church exist? So in America, I think we think the church exists as a platform to salvation. Okay. True. But why does the church exist more largely? If we take a look at post the gospels and and post acts and the church coming about, why does the church exist? Paul's going through and the church, it definitely exists to reach the world. Don't get me wrong. But pretty much every time Paul is addressing these various churches, and by the way, various churches is not a problem. So having these different denominations was never rebuked or thought wrong, as long as they were focused on what the word actually says. So 
what I see is that Paul is trying to disciple these churches and say, hey, you are doing this wrong. You are doing that wrong. If you do these things right, then you will be living uh, the life that God wants you to. And thus you will then it'll lead to more salvations. The church, on the other hand, in modern terms is if we can just reach people and just quote unquote, love like Jesus and just keep this super shallow Christianity, the whole thing like Bonhoeffer, that cheap grace, if we can just live that way, salvation's the number one thing. Is it though? Yeah, that's important. But you're, if you truly want more salvation, the church has to do a better job of actually growing leaders that will impact our society for the people that are unsaved. Because right now, if I'm someone who's not saved and I look at the church, why on earth do I want to be a part of that group? There is nothing appealing. There's, there's nothing exciting. I'm looking at it going, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. They all just want more money. They're all just manipulating this, that, and the other thing. Half of them believe in conspiracy theories. 85% of them voted for this evil president that, that I see who is nothing like what you know, Jesus taught about, yet they completely love this guy. I'd be so confused if I wasn't a current Christian. Why would I want to do it? So I think the church has to focus on holding itself accountable the way Paul did it focusing on discipleship of its own members and people keep talking about revival that you are not going to receive revival until the church has its own revival <laughs> because there's nothing appealing about what's going on in the church today. That's why you see people leaving churches left and right. People who grew up in churches are leaving yeah. the, not even people who grew up there want to stay. Half of the shows that you have on are people who have left the church for some reason or another. They can't even keep the people they have because they're not even discipling those people the right way. So how are they going to get new people? <laughs> it goes back to the conversation. We talk about legalism on our show all the time. And we talk about this idea that it's so much about appearances and your personal status, your personal power and, and, and things like that. And so I think a lot of times when you get into the conversation of reaching the world with the gospel, the gospel is for your justification, but it's also for sanctification. And when you say that, when you eliminate the work of the Holy Spirit, when you eliminate the, the work of allowing scripture to dictate truly how to treat other people, like how to focus on those horizontal issues I talked about a little bit earlier, when you get rid of that and you just say, hey, do what's going to make you look the best that you can within your context, and you're not worried about at that point, you're a sociopath, right? Like you're worried about what's going to bring me the most praise, acclaim and value within my institution. And you're not worried about how you treat people that are made in the image of God. You're not worried about, we read the story of the Good Samaritan and we totally leave that and go sit down at Sizzler for lunch or Cracker Barrel, if I want to get more specific with my analogy, and start tweeting about banning people who don't look like us or don't believe like us. And it's completely radical how the Bible talks about these issues versus how the pulpit does. Those are two very different things, what the Bible says and what the opinion of the speaker says. Yeah. And I just want to say something real quick too, because I'm definitely with you guys on that. We do not practice and we do not present a, a complete gospel since both of you guys are touching on it. We polarize this one aspect that we forget that when Jesus came, he was actually preaching the gospel long before he even went to the cross. So we struggled through that for a second then. And also just don't forget the fact that after he uh, rose again, and even when he ascended, that lordship, I think that's the biggest piece that we're all going to struggle with that lordship, the fact that we are still to be obedient to him, just like we were to be obedient to the Lord himself in the Old Testament. That is something that our nation clearly struggles with. But it's interesting that you just uh, talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan, because I'm huge on the semantics of the original language. And if you pay close attention in the very end, after 
he's had the entire conversation. Jesus asks the teacher of the law, he's, who would you say uh, was the person who was actually the neighbor? And it's amazing how racist the Bible actually is. <clears throat> I mean that in a good way. <laughs> the answer that the teacher of the law gives is the one. Now, we have to be really specific here. Jesus specifically said the Samaritan. And what most folks obviously, what you may or may not know, that Samaritans were half-breeds. They were not pure blood in, in, in Jewish culture. And so they were detested for that reason. So much so that this one man right here, when he says the one, it's not just the fact that it's not just what he's saying. It's what he's not saying. The fact that he can't say the Samaritan, it just shows you exactly how much hate he had in his heart for that person. He might as well have been calling them the N-word for, for Black folk in, in, in modern day times. And I think my one big encouragement and the one thing I would hope to see is that we would have a church that really takes the time to really investigate what our word says and what it means. And what hopefully it will show us is that some of the stuff that we struggle through today, they struggled through back then. And they also saw that the real opportunity in order to birth and move the church was making sure that we did it the way that Jesus would do it. And hopefully we will fight tooth and nail to, to operate that same exact way. I mean, if we did it just like their church, I'm pretty sure that we would begin to grow again and we wouldn't hemorrhage the way that we are right now. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. I think that's a, I think that's a perfect spot to to wrap up the the conversation. I, I, I think that nails it. I, I, I do want people to connect with you. Like I said, I, I really appreciate that these issues are talked about. And honestly, it's funny coming from me with the, the show that I do, but there's topics you get into that I'd be terrified to touch on a weekly podcast. And, <laughs> and I'm sure there's many that are in the boat where they're like, why do you do this show that you do? But for people who want to hear more of these conversations from two people that have way better radio voices than I do, where's the best people, <laughs> uh, where's the best place for people to find you and, and listen to your content. We're willing to boldly go. That's our tagline. I think you know that already. So I appreciate that up. But yeah, if you want to, we are located on uh, Instagram at I underscore the number two underscore I podcast. And on Facebook, we are the inspired one. I, I just didn't, it's the company line, but I just went ahead and put everything in there. We also have a Facebook group. And if you want to, you can look at that eye to eye podcast, the community. I can't remember. I'll give it to you for the show notes, but yeah. And then Devin and I can both be followed as well. If you want to, I am at good God. I don't even remember what my thing is. I know it's, oh, it's one NSP one R E D one, <laughs> the number one for all of those. So inspired one Devin, where are you at, man? Oh, I don't know, man. I just, I post pictures of my kids on Facebook and only look up NBA trade rumors on Twitter. So I'm not super followable, but I, I don't post enough. It's not that interesting. And Eric talking about radio voices, you're just fine. Imagine having to co-host with a guy like his voice every single week. That's, that really does a number on my ego. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I was at a conference just two weeks ago and some someone came up to me and they said, oh, I've listened to every episode. And I was like, you've listened to 120 hours of this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I instantly <laughs> felt really bad. I was like, go listen to Jordan's voice for that long. But, uh, but no, thank you guys so much for coming on and uh, let's, let's record your show. <laughs> so. Sounds great. Let's do it. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, Please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.